Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight. <clears throat> and uh going to make sure that uh, we've got our live stream and everything going here. All right, I can hear my voice back there. Quick run, hide. <clears throat> Why is it that every time you hear your own voice, you're just like, ah, it's like nails on chalkboard. <clears throat> All right, well, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer, and we'll get into Philippians chapter 3 tonight and um, get into uh, the lesson. Uh, we're going to try to see if we can get at least through verse 14 tonight, uh, and then uh, hopefully kind of introduce the rest of the chapter. Uh, chapter 13 is taking quite a bit because um, there's just a lot here, and I don't want to to run roughshod over that. So I want to make sure that we we get a good understanding about it. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful again to be here and again, Lord, to just uh, come around your word, to uh, fellowship together, to learn together. And I pray, Lord, that uh, tonight that uh, all the things uh, of this uh, day, all the things of uh, this week, things that may be uh, troubling us or uh, plaguing us are just uh, set aside for a moment as we just seek to learn from you. Uh, Lord, I pray our hearts are ready to receive something from your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that uh, if there's conviction, that we would respond to it uh, with their, uh, your edification and your comfort, Lord, that we would uh, respond accordingly by drawing nearer and closer to you. And Lord, just being uh, very uh, grateful and thankful for all you've done for us. Lord, I pray again you'd just be with me tonight, speak through me, that this time would please you and honor you. And this I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so here we are in Philippians uh, chapter 3, and uh, um, we kind of left off uh, right uh, uh, close to, to verse uh, 10 or so. Um, and, uh, we talked a little bit about, uh, um, knowing him and uh, obviously knowing the power of his resurrection, knowing, um, his, uh, sufferings and being conformable to his death. And uh, we were talking about that in light of the mindset of Christ. Um, as, uh, as we understand that we don't go around boasting in our own flesh, uh, the things of pride, the things of selfishness, the things that are uh, um, uh, oriented to us are, are, dial- are obviously idolatrous in nature. So we have to, to make sure that we understand that concept. And we, we, we've talked quite a bit about this and gone through what uh, uh, Paul uh, kind of, quote unquote, was boasting about um, saying, hey, if we want to start talking about how good we are in the flesh, he's like, no, 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 I can beat you all. But here's the issue. I really can't because it's all worthless anyways. Um, and it comes down to to Christ. It comes down to, if you will, apprehending him, which we're going to get to here uh, a little bit to, further into this uh, chapter. But let's just go ahead and uh, back up to, to verse 8 again for the context. And he says, yay. Doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered a loss of all things, and do count them but none, that I may win Christ. Now, again, we're not uh, talking about, obviously, salvation. We need to address that. You know, some people try to fit salvation into Philippians chapter 3 passage, and it's not. This is talking about somebody that is saved. It's not that they're keeping 
the, their salvation um, uh, through works or anything of that nature. What it boils down to is them doing the will of God, uh, if you will, pleasing Him. This is this is a Revelation four eleven mindset. And you go over to Revelation chapter four uh, eleven, and it talks about how uh, what John sees around the throne, the four and twenty elders, and they're uh, you know throwing their uh, crowns down at, at Christ's feet, and they are talking about to him is all glory, honor, and power. And then it also talks about by him all things were created uh, that they uh, that uh, they were created for his pleasure. And we understand that that's the concept of our life. That is uh, the, the um, if you will, the thrust behind Ecclesiastes chapter 12. That is uh, uh, our, our duty is obviously to please God, to fulfill his will, to do his will. Uh, we see that Jesus Christ did that, and we talked about that in chapter 2. But as we, we move forward through this into uh, verse uh, verse 9, it says, And be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is uh, through faith of Christ, that righteousness, uh, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And then we get into verse 10, and it talks about these three things that uh, he wants to, to have here, with, about being found in him, that knowledge of Jesus Christ, is that I may know him, as it says here, and... Um, <clears throat> And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So these things that we see here, um, actually four things that we see, uh, we, we find that this becomes the foundational principle of Christian living. Uh, obviously, God wants us to know him. To know him is to know what his will is, to know what pleases him, to know what honors him, what gives him glory. Um, if we don't know anything about Jesus Christ, save salvation, yeah, we're still saved, but we're not living for him the way that he intended us to, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which is for those good works, to demonstrate the, the power of God, to demonstrate his glory, honor, and praise in our life. So, so people will, will struggle with that and they will say, well, I just don't know what to do as far as being a Christian. Well, the first thing you gotta do is you gotta know who God is. You gotta start there. That's, I mean, th- that, that's a basic principle that Paul is teaching us here. We have to start with knowing Him. Now, some people like to go through and they think they know what, who God is. They think they know, uh, uh, uh about Him. They may say, well, okay, I know, uh, I know there's the Trinity. Okay, but do we know what each individual uh, um, uh, aspect of that trinity represents? Do we know what their job duties are? Uh, you know, many people, you ask the question, well, do you even know what the Holy Spirit's job is? They kind of go, ah. A lot of people don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. They think, you know, if you go to some Pentecostal churches, they think the Holy Spirit is is, you know, putting hands in the air, speaking in uh, um, gibberish and and uh, having some sort of emotional, out-of-body, quote-unquote, spiritual experience. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's something else. But what we see very clearly about the Holy Spirit is, you know, he's a comforter. He is a teacher. He is responsible for, for demonstrating truth in people's lives, uh, revealing it from Scripture. Uh, his uh, uh, duty is to magnify Christ 
All of these things that we see, we see Jesus Christ here on this earth when he was doing what he was doing here. Obviously, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He came uh, for the purpose of uh, uh, the sins of the world, as it says over in first, or John chapter 1. Uh, we see all of those things, but we also see that he came to do the will of God. So we, 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 we begin to understand all of these things, and the only way we can understand them is to be familiar with Scripture. To be familiar with Scripture. Uh, go over to, um, I think we hit this one last week, but I just want to make sure we do, in John chapter 17. <clears throat> John chapter 17. <clears throat> John chapter 17 and verse 3 And it says, and these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. Here's the problem with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel thought they knew who God was and they were going about doing things totally wrong. Totally wrong. You know, it it gets frustrating sometimes uh, when you're either debating somebody or you get into, um, you know, talking about things of the Bible or things of scripture, biblical, uh, oriented, uh, um, conversation. And you get somebody in there that has absolutely no idea who God is and, uh, uh, what, uh, what scripture says. And they take things way out of context, uh, just completely out of context. And they try to use it in different ways. And they go over there and they start talking about, quote-unquote, the religious people of the day over in the book of, uh, you know, in, the, in the, um, the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And so they start talking about the Pharisees. And they start trying to compare every Christian to a Pharisee. But the problem is, and a lot of these people don't realize this, that the Pharisees, they weren't Christians. As a matter of fact, they were anti-Christ. <laughs> they were the ones that wanted him killed. Um, so <laughs> that's pretty evident. But what we find is, we find, as he says, they don't know God. They have no clue who God is. So what they did is they made up a bunch of man-made uh, traditions influenced by biblical principles. And what they did and what they tried to create was a morality that would elevate themselves. The Pharisees, which were hypocrites, were humanists. That's what they were. They weren't Christians. And you, you tell that to somebody that you're arguing with, and they just like, they explode, um, and they can't seem to grasp that concept. Because they're not of God. They don't think the way God thinks. Now again, we can, as Christians, fall into a hypocritical, pharisaical, humanistic mentality. And we see humanism creeping into the church. Actually, I should say creeping into the church. It kicked in the back door and it now occupies three quarters of the house. But what we find is, he says here that that these people will do these things, the, the persecution, all of this, because they don't know God. They don't know who he is. So we as Christians, we should make sure that we do. Otherwise, we're going to wind up being one of these individuals that is causing harm, that is doing a sinful action. So I wanted to point that out. But but again, we, we, we see that the idea and the concept is, is that we know who God is. We know who God is. Uh, I want us to take a look back over at uh, another verse that we, we didn't pick up last week, and that's in the, over in the book of Ezekiel. 
I want us to go to Ezekiel chapter 33. These are some uh, um, uh, pretty important verses uh, that I want to, to, to bring up in regards to some of this mindset, some of this uh, discussion that he's going into about why it's important, uh, why we need to have the mind of Christ not focused upon ourselves, but again, having what we saw over there in, in chapter two, no reputation, form of a servant, uh, humble and obedient. So in, uh, Ezekiel chapter, um, let's see here, where I lost my place. Ezekiel chapter 33 <clears throat> in verse uh, 13, it says, when I shall say to the righteous, that he shall surely live if he trust in his own righteousness and commit iniquity, and all his righteousness shall not be remembered. But for his iniquity that he committeth, he shall die for it. Now, this is a very interesting situation, and this obviously shows that some things that were going on in the Old Testament that were a little bit different than what we have today. But what we clearly see here is he's saying that when a person is trying to go about creating their own righteousness and they're doing things the wrong way, there are going to be repercussions with this. There are going to be things that, that, that come back. So this is why when we think we know ourselves and we think we know what we want and we think what's best for us, we realize that we truly don't, according to the book of Ecclesiastes, but what we find is that our, who we're supposed to know most of all is, is our Lord, who he is. I mean, we, we talked recently about the resurrection and the power of his resurrection. Go over to John chapter five. These are some things that we see about knowing him. And obviously in this case, specifically, um, knowing about his resurrection and the power behind it. Um, John chapter five. <clears throat> John chapter 5, take a look at verse uh, 29. <clears throat> John chapter 5, verse 29. Um, back up to verse 28, he says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all the, the uh, all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. They shall come forth, they, have, uh, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I mean, it makes it pretty clear here that there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection that's coming. Now, when, when we're talking about the power of the resurrection and we're talking about uh, some things, and this is going to be important as we move down further into these other verses where he starts referencing some of those uh, uh, those resurrections and um, those things of the dead and so on and so forth. But what we see here is he says there is going to be a final resurrection. There are going to be those that are, are, are brought forth. And we even saw some of those come out when Jesus Christ rose from the grave. There were saints that came out and were walking about before they ascended, which is just, again, just kind of baffles the imagination, but that's what was going on. So as we go down here a little bit further and we see in, in some other verses, let's go to the book of Romans. Uh, again, to, to kind of see some of this issue with resurrection. I mean, right there in Romans, uh, Romans chapter one, <clears throat> right there in the book of John, we see obviously some of those things that were happening around the time of Christ's death, around his resurrection and the power that's there. 
Now look, we don't have power to resurrect anybody. Any power that anybody had with the eight resurrections that took place in Scripture, that came from God. I mean, that's pretty evident and pretty clear. I mean, two of them obviously, uh, or uh, I guess three of them were obviously attributed to Christ, but what we find is very clearly those other ones that were remaining, those were all brought about because God was working through that individual. It wasn't of their own righteousness that they could do those things. And this is where we truly have to understand Jesus Christ is the only resurrection in Scripture that was performed by himself because of who he is, because of what he did. So uh, we, we go to, to, to Romans, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 4, or chapter 1, verse 4, and here it talks about and declared it to be, this is talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Uh, you know, look, people can go around boasting about all the power they have. I mean, right now you've got uh, um, these, you know, these despots over uh, in certain parts of the area, you know, rattling their sabers, talking about the power of their nuclear weapons and so on and so forth. Well, look, it doesn't take a lot of power to kill. It really doesn't. Uh, people, people have killed for a lot less using a lot weird, uh, you know, uh, methods. You know what really takes power? To raise somebody from the dead. Now, this is a demonstration of power. This is a demonstration of who he is. Now, the reason why we have to begin to know who he is and know the power of that resurrection is because it gives us a great comfort. I mean, he's going to say in the next chapter, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, now, if we're talking about a human being that can boast about himself and say, oh, look at me, look at how good I've done, look at what I've given to the poor, look at what I've done for the church, and oh, look at how great I am, and oh, look how I love Jesus, and oh, I'm such a great Christian, and oh, I deserve a gold star, and you know, was, you know, every time the church door opens, I, I hear hymns playing because I'm walking in, you know, just ridiculous garbage like that. And we look at that and go, well, it's insane. Nobody really thinks that. Well, <laughs> there are people that do. There are people that have that mindset, that they are God's gift to the body of Christ. That they are, uh, that they are one of the, 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 the high-end members and, and uh, have, uh, you know, a special privilege in place. There are people that believe that stuff. But, but here's the issue. <clears throat> Those people, you're not going to trust them to solve your problems. You're not going to trust them to bring about, uh, uh, you know, uh, what needs to be done in your life. So when we can say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, that's because they have power. That person that is filled with themselves, that person has no power at all. They have no power. You know, it was, it was ironic. There's, there's, there's Pilate boasting about how I have power to release thee. And Jesus is like, you don't have any power except what God's given you. And, and that should have been a bit of a clue to him, but it wasn't. And the end result is, you know, obviously we took place what, 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 what the, the will of God was and what the plan was. 
But Pilate didn't even have power. Nobody has power. I mean, even, even if you're thinking about like Caesar or, or the president of the United States, you know, these, these individuals, they think that they've got all this power and they really don't. They really don't. It's like Lord of the Flies. I mean, you know, they're trying to, you know, get one over each other and try to be, you know, uh, uh, top of the heap, king of the hill, whatever it is. But the, the end result is, is this is why we want to understand that power. Why? Because he gets in this, in the verse four where he's talking about according to the spirit of holiness. There's where real power comes in. When, when we as Christians are doing what is right and we're doing the things that, uh, um, are striving for that perfection, striving for that holiness, guess what? We're, we are going to be the ones that, that will go understand that that power and that, the, 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 that, that our might comes from Jesus Christ. Not from anywhere else. Take a look further down in the chapter, uh, or excuse me, into another chapter in the book in chapter six of, uh, Romans, chapter six. <clears throat> Romans chapter six and in verse uh, verse uh, uh, oh verse four. Let's back up to verse four. He says, "Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death." Now, this baptism isn't talking about water baptism. This baptism is baptism into Jesus Christ, being placed into Him. There's seven different baptisms in Scripture, so we have to make sure we understand each one of them. This baptism is not water baptism. Uh, what we the water baptism is is a demonstration of this. It's kind of that outward representation. It's like an object lesson. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, according to the book of Ephesians, but uh, now that we are born again, now that we have newness of life, there is a distinct walk with which we are supposed to conduct ourselves. And I want us to remember that because we're going to get to to some of that. He says here in verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also, uh, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. We understand that we have been raised again. We have that newness of life. We have a new man that is in us. We, 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 we have something that is, is not what the, the unsaved of this world have. And it's not to, to boast about it. It's to say that everyone can have it. That this is, is a free gift. This eternal life, this, this life that God is giving us. And again, this is because of the power of his resurrection. If the resurrection didn't pl- take place, none of this would be in here. And as he says, if, if that resurrection didn't take place, he said, we have almost, uh, 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 you know, uh, paraphrasing here, we would be the most miserable people on the face of the earth. Because we're actually not following anything that has any power at all. At all. Go over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 20, and uh, if you will, take a look here at uh, <clears throat> verse 4 to talk a little bit about this this uh, this um, this power. Now, obviously, in the first few three verses, we find uh, Satan has been bound and thrown in, the bottom, thrown in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. 
So here we are in verse 4, and we're talking about the 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And it says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and the judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of uh, of Jesus and for the word of God, and uh, which had not worshipped the beast, neither after his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, for and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So here he is talking about all these people that are being persecuted. Oh, man alive. People are just freaking out over stuff right now. You know, there's the Supreme Court case where um, a, uh, um, a coach got fired for silently praying on the sidelines and they said that he shouldn't have done that. And you know what everybody is saying? They, they're saying, well, he, he, what he does in the privacy of his own home is his business. Now, that sounds really familiar. Sounds really familiar. Uh, but the end result is uh, they're, they're basically saying, we don't want to even see your religion. We don't want you talking about it. We don't want anything um, demonstrating it. We don't want you celebrating it. We don't want you doing anything with it, especially having open prayer anywhere. And the end result is they want to push religion completely out of existence. Hence the introduction of humanism, which is a religion in itself. But what we find here is we find that these are these people that have been persecuted. These are these people that have died and uh, are, are saved Christians. They've gone through uh, various different things, and here they are. What are they doing? They're worshiping and ruling with Jesus Christ. It's kind of like the book of Judges. You go over there in the book of Judges, and what do you find? You find multiple judges. Now, again, if you look at the, the timeline of, of, of Judges, it's not these sequential, you know, first came uh, Ehud, and then it was Gideon, and then it was, you know, so on and so forth. But we find that those judges were in individual places around Israel at the time. And were responsible for various different areas. So the same thing is true here where we see these individuals that are sitting and having judgment given to them. Uh, these are individuals that will have the, the, the pure, holy mind of Christ because they are resurrected from the dead and they are saved. They have a glorified body um, and they are the ones that are in charge. They're the ones that people go to when they have a problem. And they, and they're the ones that, that uh, will be issuing the, hey, we see that you have not been over to Jerusalem to worship the Savior, the King of Kings. If you don't go, mayor, governor, president, it's not going to rain in your country, your county, your city, your state until you do. I mean, you go back and you read some of that stuff that goes on in the, the millennial reign, and you're like, what? Wait. <laughs> it's very different. Very different. Governments will be very, very different. Everyone is going to respond to who Jesus Christ is. But here in verse 5 of this chapter, he says, But the rest of the dead that li- uh, lived not again under the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, uh, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with them a thousand years. 
In the end, we see that in the end part of this chapter that everyone is taken off the earth because the earth is just completely destroyed. So everybody that's in hell and everybody that is uh, uh, in the sea and everybody that has perished is all going to stand in front of Jesus Christ and they're all going to be judged. And he's going to judge them on their works, as it says. Now, that's terrifying, knowing what we understand about Scripture, that one sin is the equivalent of death. So great, there's nothing that you can do to erase that. So again, somebody can murder a person and then help every little old lady across the street and give all their goods to the poor um, and, and, and go and do all of those things. It still will not undo that murder that they've done. In our justice system, it doesn't work that way. There might be a leniency that is given, but here, you know, obviously in the state of Washington, we don't even have the death penalty anymore. But the end result is if there was a cold-blooded murder, then that person is going to have to pay for it. We, we have that kind of established as a legal, lawful, moral principle. The same thing is true with sin. And if God says that you've sinned in one area, you, you know, you've offended the whole entire, uh, entirety of the law. So we realize that it's going to be not a very pleasant thing at that end. And this is why he's saying, you know, those that are in the first resurrection that are saved from that, those people are the people that have blessings. Those that aren't raised until after the thousand years, that's some serious concern. That's some serious concern. This is why we have to begin to understand the power of his resurrection, what that does. The power of his resurrection is the entrance into eternal life. That's something we have to keep in mind. You know, and again, we go back over there to to Philippians 3, and we start (coughs) talking about the suffering part, where he says, to know that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. This is a connection with that. Now, again, we're, we're all going to suffer in various different ways. We, we, we just recently looked at First and Second Peter, and we saw that that was a lot to deal with suffering, saying that sufferings are going to come. Uh, how we respond to them is the important part. This is why we need to understand the fellowship of his sufferings, what he went through, number one, for us, understanding what he went through on the cross. You know, there's some people that, won't, that don't want to hear that. You start talking to them about the cross, and immediately they're like, I don't want to hear that. Why don't you just tell me about heaven? Okay, well, look, heaven is a great place to talk about if you're going there. But you're not going there unless you understand the cross. That there was a death that took place for our sin. That I mean, We have to understand that. We have to understand what he went through beforehand with the sham of a trial and the beatings and the mockings and the pulling out of the beard and the crown of thorns and the punching and the hitting with the rod and, 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 and all of that. The betrayal, the forsaking, the denial, all of that. To have that all laid upon our Savior. You know, some people are like, well, you know, that's just too uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah, it is uncomfortable to talk about. 
But let's face the reality. If we don't understand the fellowship of his sufferings, we don't understand that he did that for us so that we would have fellowship with him, so that we would be reconciled to God, then we ourselves are not understanding who he is and why he did what he did. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter seven. Um, here's here's Paul having a you know kind of reminding the church at Corinth uh, that uh, some of their little trials and tribulations are going through are really not that significant. Um, you see what's going on here in verse five. He says, "For when we were in uh, come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest." We were just talking about that beforehand, getting sleep. <laughs> you know, the, the importance of that. Our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. I, 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 I you know, I, I guarantee you a lot of people don't really think about that verse. He said every side. That's on the outside and that's on the inside. That means everything around you is is falling apart. Your world is crashing down outside you, and it's also crashing down inside you. I mean, look at what he said. He said, "Without we're fighting. They're constantly in a battle. They're you know we're, we're talking about that spiritual conflict uh, in Sunday school now, uh, and, and you know we're talking about there's there's battles that are out there. There's battles against uh, spiritual darkness and the things of the devil. There's battles against the world, uh, and there's fights within ourselves. And this is exactly what he's talking about. He says, "Without we're fighting." So they're fighting the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jews and the Romans and the uh, the Gentiles that don't like them, and uh, you know uh, every work of the devil against them. <coughs> <coughs> Contrary to everything that uh, that they're trying to do for 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 Christ, and he says here, within we're fears. Within we're fears. You know, Paul just admitted here there were some scared folk. There were some scared folk. Now, look, I, I, and, and I'll, I will point this out. You know, a lot of times God does talk about fear in Scripture. And he does say in, 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 you know, well over 300 different ways about fear not, fret not, uh, be, be not afraid, all of those things. And there's reasons why. And every time he says that, he gives the comfort about why we shouldn't need to be afraid. He tells us we haven't been given the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now again, that's very interesting. Like all those things relate to what he's talking about here, about the power of Christ, knowing him, knowing his love, all of those things that we see here. Uh, but what we find is people are going to have fears come into their life. Fear is an emotion. Look, you, we can't turn emotion off. We can't. We, we, we are not 
uh, um, you know, some alien species from some sci-fi movie or TV series that can just choose to switch it off. You know what happens if you try to do that? You go crazy. You will go absolutely crazy. God wants us to deal with them the right way. So with, with, with our four emotions that we have, we have happiness, we have sadness, which includes sorrow, depression, um, all of those things, grief. Um, and then we have uh, anger, and then we have fear. And, you know, anxiety sometimes is a mix of various different ones of those. And that's kind of in there. It's kind of this floating emotion that kind of rides the wave of what's going on. It's kind of this one that's uh, along for the ride just to kind of make your life miserable sometimes. But what we find is we have all of these things happen in our life. You you are going to get angry. So God says, be angry and sin not. That's God's expectation. <coughs> And, and he makes it very clear in Scripture that at some point in time, we have to deal with it. Otherwise, we are going to have bitterness. If we don't deal with it now, we don't deal with the anger now, we're going to have bitterness, which will destroy us later. Because bitterness is a poison weed. It will consume your soul. It will take over your life. It's worse than a blackberry bush in Oregon. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's all over the place. So what we see is he tells us how to deal with it. He tells us how we can have happiness. He tells us what to do with sadness. What does it say? It says uh, that godly sorrow worketh repentance. What does that mean? It means that we turn from our sins and our conviction and we turn to God. Whatever it may be, we turn to God. So here we, <coughs> excuse me, here we are with fear. And what does fear do? Fear leads us to put and place our trust in him. If you don't have fear, you are never going to get to the point where you understand that you have to trust him. You're never going to get there. You're going to start trusting in yourself, which is super dangerous. So what do we have to do? We have to trust God. We have to believe that he is going to handle the situation. And we, are, and again, it doesn't mean we just get to sit back in the bark lounger and, you know, grab a hold of our Diet Coke and say, well, God's going to handle it. No, it means we have to do what God tells us to do and be obedient. Even if it means we are a little apprehensive about what's about ready to happen. Even if it makes us uncomfortable. Fear draws us nearer to Christ. Every emotion does. So we have to use it the right way. And here he is, he's saying, this is what was without, you know, within us. And he says here in verse 6, though, he says, Nevertheless, God that comfort us, those that are cast down, comfort us by the coming of Titus. And that's a great thing. When you are dealing with the worst thing that can ever happen, you know what God does? God sends somebody. Not only does he give us comfort, but he sends an individual to comfort us. That's the leading of the Holy Spirit, the comforter. That's why we as Christians have to know how to respond to it. When we're being led to comfort somebody, we have to know how to comfort them the right way. There's a right way and a wrong way to comfort them. 
there was a pastor that he wrote a whole ton of books about uh, um, counseling, and he, he had an individual after a service come up to him as he was getting ready to, you know, go home for the, uh, you know, after Sunday services, and this guy was just standing there, and he had this look of just shell shock on him, and uh, the, the pastor asked him, are you okay? And, and the guy just kind of, like, mumbles something, and you, you could see he was had been crying, and he was just, you know, tears were, were coming out. And, and the pastor didn't know what to do. A young pastor at that time, and he just reaches over and puts his arm around him and says, it'll be okay. And the guy looked at him like he got punched. And just walked off. And the pastor was like, oh, all right, whatever. Goes home, gets a phone call a little bit later from somebody else in the church, and they said, Hey, such and such just committed suicide. The man that was in the hallway. He, 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 he did something because he was in despair. I mean, he was at the bottom rung. And he was looking for some sort of comfort. I mean, what if Titus didn't respond to the Holy Spirit? This is why we have to know him. This is why the mind of Christ becomes important because we put aside our selfish wants and we put a forward what God wants for the needs of other. Welcome to charity 101. And here we are looking at this and we begin to realize that, that this comfort is, is there and all of these things. This is what we go through when we're suffering. You know, we suffer so somebody else can comfort and be obedient and then you receive that comfort so that you can turn around and then comfort someone else with that same comfort. Therein lies the concept. So again, when, when God, you know, you have somebody that is distraught because of their sin and they come to you and they say, what do I do? And you say, hey, let me tell you about a Savior that died on the cross for your sins. You know, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that person says, amen, I want to do that. You know what you did? You took the same comfort with which Christ comforted you through the Holy Spirit and you now through the Holy Spirit are comforting that person who's going to go out and tell someone else about that. That's how that works. So what we see here is we see that this is why it becomes essential as this mindset, number one, that it involves knowing God, knowing Christ, knowing who he is, knowing the power of his resurrection, knowing the fellowship of his sufferings, that we are going to go through certain things in this life and we're going to suffer through them but also to be made conformable unto his death. Now, that doesn't sound like a pleasant thing, does it? <laughs> it doesn't sound like a pleasant thing, but what it's talking about here is when we go back over there to the book of Romans where we were just talking, excuse me, about baptism, that's the conformable to unto his death. We are buried in him. We're, I mean, this is where where our old life ends and a new life begins. <coughs> when he died on the cross, when he resurrected, he didn't come back the same way. Praise God for it. He he, he told Mary, don't touch me because I haven't ascended yet. He came back with a glorified body. 
And he was passing through walls and scaring the disciples half to death. I'm sitting there thinking, good, you know, this is a cool thing. I mean, if we, if we get to be like Christ and we can just pass through walls and spontaneously appear wherever we want to be, praise God, I'm going to have a renewed mind that is not going to want to prank people (laughs) and scare people half to death. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I, number one, I, I am not, I, I'm not a prankster. I don't like to play pranks. I only play, play pranks on people that attempt to prank me. And I don't like being pranked. I don't like surprises. I just don't. So when Pastor Tim was here, he was, he was always trying to, you know, scare people and do stuff like that. And he tried to get me a couple of times. And, uh, there was one time he, 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 uh, I came in, here we were going to pray and I parked in the back and I came through the top door here and I walked down and I was waiting for him downstairs and I forgot to unlock the front door. And I was grabbing something from the kitchen, a glass of water or something like that. And I hear his truck pull up and, um, I, you know, I wasn't purposely just, you know, trying to, to be completely silent or something. I guess that's just how I am. I have a tendency to just be quiet and silent and scare people half to death. And, uh, I hear him unlock the front door and I'm just standing right there at the kitchen. And I know that he's going to go in there because the first thing he's going to do is he's going to start making some coffee. That's Tim. And I just, so I'm just standing there with my cup. I hear him, I hear him walk up and he comes around the corner and he sees me and I just go like that. And he, he, it was funny. He does some sort of weird chicken move. Like he was going to attack me. He, he raises up his leg and he goes like this. He goes, Oh, and I'm like, <laughs> kind of kung fu move is that? <laughs> but you know, you think about that. Praise God, he had a, Jesus Christ had a different body. He could pass through things, right? He had that ability to do those things. And, and, and when we're conformable unto his death, we realize that that, that is our access to it. And I dare say that the conformable, being conformable unto his death, very much matches up chapter 2 and verse 8, where it says, and became obedient unto death. Will we be obedient to God all the way to that point? If that's what happens to us. And for some people, they're afraid of that. But here's, again, where we have the mind of Christ. If we know who he is, we know the power of his resurrection, we understand that fellowship of his suffering, we are going to be made conformable unto that, meaning we're being obedient to him. Take a look at verse 11 here. And here we go into this part where he says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, uh, that for which I am, uh, which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So here we are in this, in this next section of this. He starts talking about attaining something. Now, again, we're not talking about attaining salvation. 
He didn't attain salvation. Salvation is a gift, not to be attained through works. So what we find here is that what he's doing is he's talking about pleasing Christ. He's talking about, you know, attainment of, of, of glory and rewards for our Savior. This is the mindset that Paul's talking about. This is the mindset of Christ. This is the mindset of looking forward to those things. Everything that Jesus Christ did was for the glory of the Father. And he attained that, and he said, it is finished on the cross. And we, in the same mindset, go through this life, and we have to say, when I'm at the end of my life, have I attained and done what God has asked me to do? Now look, we all understand that we have missed opportunities and we have areas where we have disobeyed God. We get that. But praise God for God's forgiveness. We still need to continue in that attainment process. Attaining what God, God's will is for our life. Doing those things. And praise God, he continues to give us second chance and third chance and fourth chance and fifth chance and, you know, the 490th chance and everything else, right? Praise God for all of that. So here he is, he's, he's speaking of this judgment that we find over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the judgment of believers, uh, um, and, and, and with these, these, these bodies, with what we're supposed to do here on this earth, because we understand, as we just read in Revelation 20, that we're going to have new bodies and we're going to rule and reign with Christ. So we understand this concept here. And you go over to 1 Corinthians 3, and he talks about wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, and precious stone, the building blocks of what we're supposed to have in this life as, as a, a, you know, a wise master builder, how to go about building on that foundation of Christ, those things that we're supposed to be doing. And what we see is we see that as he begins to talk about this in verse 11, where he says, if by any means I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead, he's talking about that first resurrection. He's talking about, you know, if you will, kind of being worthy of ruling and reigning with Christ. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we live with with regret in this life. There's a lot that we live with regret. And I'll tell you, the more we focus on that regret and the more we focus on past things, the less we move forward. Because, I mean, take a look at what he says right there in, 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 um, in that next verse, in ver- or in, in not the next verse, but in verse 13, where he says, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. You can't press toward the mark if you are thinking about everything that you have done wrong. Because now you don't have time or disk space upstairs to think about what you need to do for Christ right now. Praise God, the things of my past are forgiven. I don't have to worry about paying for them anymore. You know what I have to focus on? Being obedient right now, being humble, being a servant, and making sure that my reputation that I have is what what, what Christ was working for, the glory of God. That That's the mindset. That's how I press towards that mark. That's my mark. That's where I need to get. 
But if I'm, look, if a runner is too concerned about what he stepped on three steps back, guess what happens? He's never going to get to the, to the mark. He's never going to attain that. This is the Christian walk. This is the Christian life. This is the Christian race that Paul talks about over and over again. And I tell you, we, we, we get ourselves stuck in the middle sometimes. When I was, uh, when I was about, uh, I think it was 1920, I think it was like, when I was 19, I think is when it was first started having issues and 20 was when it was diagnosed. Um, I started having issues with, um, uh, my stomach. Uh, it, um, I, I remember, you know, one time, um, uh, putting on a, a jacket or something like that. And I just was like, man alive, did I bust a rib or something? I mean, it just felt like I had been punched. And this is back when I was doing some training and doing a lot of paintball and things like that. And I thought maybe I had messed up myself. Um, so I went to the doctor and I said, man, I think I, I think I broke a rib or something in there. And he's like, well, yeah, more than likely not. He's like, that's, that's a really hard thing to kind of do. So he's like, you know, did you take some really big falls? And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I'm jumping and leaping off of things and, you know, playing, trying to act like I'm Superman or whatever. And he's like, well, we'll take a look. And, uh, so he takes a look at the x-ray and he goes, mm, I just don't see anything. He says, I want you to try something. He said, uh, I'm going to give you a prescription for something. And gives me a prescription for something that's not even on the market anymore for, for, for ulcers. He hands me the prescription. I look at it and I'm like, doc, wait, hold on a second. I said, I work in pharmacy and I know exactly what this is for. He says, I think you've got them. And I'm like, uh, he said, I want you to take it for seven days and then I want you to come back. All right. So I go get this prescription filled. Um, and, uh, um, uh, after like about two days, all of a sudden that pain goes away. I'm like, oh man. So I go back and I start talking to him and he says, I'm going to refer you to a gastroenterologist, uh, you know, to get this taken care of. Uh, long story short, they stuff a camera down my throat and, um, <clears throat> take a picture of the inside of my stomach. The GI doc comes back and he says, so, you know, the top surface of your stomach is supposed to be smooth like the top of jello. He says, yours looks like a World War II battlefield. He says, usually people only have one ulcer. He said, I can't even count them. I'm like, what? And he, he asked me, he said, so do you, do you drink? I'm like, no, never touch alcohol. He's like, do you smoke? Nope, nope. He's like, you eat a lot of spicy foods. Not really. It's like, you drink a lot of caffeine. I said, well, I am a college student, but I, and I do partake of the, uh, you know, the final breakfast is what they call it before finals, which is a Mountain Dew and a maple bar. So you're just like, ah, <laughs> you go in to take the test and you're done. I said, but I don't do that often. And he's like, okay. He's like, so what do you do? Just sit and worry all day? I said, yes, I do. Because at that point in time, I was dealing with that, with, with with the Lord. I was dealing with fear. I was dealing with anxiety. I was dealing with depression. And the end result is, you know, I look through, look at all that, and, and I go, man, alive, why is God doing this? Well, it wasn't God doing it. It was me. But God was using it for good. 
needless to say, he put me on these two medications. And one was to speed stuff through my system, and the other one was to slow it down. So I had this push-pull going on inside my stomach, which made me sicker than what I already was. And it was like I was being torn in half from the inside. And I'm describing this for a reason, because... Because I, I want you to understand, here I am in pain, I'm not feeling well, and all of a sudden now I just feel like my insides are being ripped out. And I just, I, I went cold turkey on everything, which I wasn't supposed to do, but thank God I did, because one of them actually was going to kill people later on. And praise the Lord, I, I discontinued it before they found that it was killing people. Welcome to pharmaceuticals, right? <clears throat> The end result is, is, is I, I got an understanding of what it feels like to, to go through that process of being pulled two different directions. As a Christian, here we are in verse 13, and, 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 and we look at that, and I want to, I want to describe that's generally what happens when a Christian is still meddling with the stuff of the past. They either haven't found comfort for what has occurred, uh, they even uh, they, they haven't addressed it scripturally. They haven't sought forgiveness, or if they have sought forgiveness, the devil keeps using them to beat beat them up. Or more or less, the case is we use it to beat ourselves up, to keep ourselves quote unquote. We think it keeps us humble. Nothing could be farther than the truth. Humility is found in doing the right thing. Humility is never found in doing the wrong. So what, what, what we find ourselves is we, we're pulled this direction to the, to the past and regret and living with that. At the same time, we know we need to be walking this direction. And we're trying to do what God wants for us. And we're trying to do His will. And we keep walking this way. And maybe we're not moving as fast as we should. Maybe we're not running. Maybe we're doing the, the, the you know, the old, um, you know, uh, if you will, injured, crippled shuffle, and we're dragging, you know, one foot behind us, trying to get there. But then we keep, we keep, as we, we try to go that direction, we keep thinking about what's behind us. And I can't focus on what's in, in front of me and what the mark is and what the prize is. And again, we're not talking about a specific, you know, fleshly reward or, or doing something like that. You know what the prize that he's talking about in, in verse 13 is? God's glory. His will. Fulfilling what God wants for us, walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called, specifically. And here we are, we're, we're getting pulled this way, and then we're still trying to do this way, and guess what happens? You're being just torn apart in the inside like that medication was tearing me apart. And at some point in time, you got to let go of something. And I'll tell you this, if you let go of God, you're going to fall back into this. You're going to fall back into sin. You're going to fall back into bondage. You're going to fall back into despair. And pretty soon you're going to be at the end of everything. And you're going to discover the end of yourself. And when you discover the end of yourself, that's not a place you want to be. But when you discover what the end is that God wants for your life, the purpose that he has, the direction he wants you to go, you find joy. 
The other one leads to a pit. So here we are looking at what Paul's talking about, and he's saying, look, if you don't have this mindset of Christ to focus on moving forward and to forget the things behind, you're never going to get to that attainment. You're never going to get there. So what we look at is we see God wants us to do something specific with our life. Now, we're going to pick this up, Lord willing, next week as we go through this a little bit further. But again, here we are seeing all of these things, uh, uh, what God tells us that he wants us to do. He says, if by any means, in verse 11, I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. And he's saying, look, I didn't have these things when I was boasting about my flesh. But interestingly enough, you go down there in verse 15 and look at what he says here. He says, therefore, or he says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Wait, did he just call saints perfect? (laughs) And here we are looking at this. And how is that found? To have that mindset. This is how we begin to walk in Christ. This is that walk and that direction that God wants us to go. We're going to find out more about that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I just thank you for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to uh, get through a few more verses here. And Lord, I pray that we'll just think on these things. We'll start focusing more on the things that we need to. Uh, Lord, what you have for us, what is in store for us, what your future holds, and Lord, that's your will. You you want us to do what is righteous. You want us to do what is holy. You want us to be humble. You want us to be servants and be obedient. And Lord, to do things um, not for ourselves, for our own reputation, but for you. And Lord, I pray we would just have the, that mindset that would begin to work in us, that your Holy Spirit would have a free reign to work in us, and we would be yielded unto him, that we would obey you and please you with all that we do. Pray, Lord, you take us home safely tonight. And again, I thank you for all you've done for us. And this I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.